Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Well, our focus tonight is going to be on the state of Minnesota. You might say, hey, I don't live there. I'm one of the other 49 states. Well, let me assure you, it's going to make a difference when you hear the story. When you think of Minnesota, I, as a child, I grew up hearing, right, to Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's all the address you need, just Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. There are seminaries, famous seminaries there. There are famous Bible colleges there. There are some huge churches across that state. Uh, there's been really a remarkable ministry come out of Minnesota. Uh, the Lutheran Church, the denomination, uh, much of that was settled uh, in, in that area. And so Minnesota has had an enormous impact spiritually in so many positive ways. But something has gone drastically wrong. When someone said to me, Minnesota is as bad, if not more bad, than California. I could not believe it until I began pro probing around and finding out that that statement tragically was not false. So we got to learn what happened. We're going to learn how do we prevent that in other states? How do we pray this thing back? What are our options in this moment when we see what's happening in the state? I want you to listen with these ears. If you're not from Minnesota, listen, it could happen in your state. You say, well, oh, my state's this. No, you better listen very carefully how these kinds of things occur. Because if, if you had told this to people in Minnesota 25 years ago, they would never believe where they are right now. So we've got four people, wonderful people coming on. I'm going to start, first of all, with a, one that all of you know extremely well. She's a national treasure for the United States, and that's Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. Congresswoman, let's start with you. Thank you so much for being on. Jim, thank you so much. It's a privilege to be on the World Prayer Network today. Thank you. I appreciate it. I want to thank everyone for being on this call tonight. And I agree, it seems odd to focus on one state that you don't necessarily hear about a lot. Our state of Minnesota has 5.7 million people. In comparison to California, that's not many. But Minnesota has taken a dramatic turn. We've historically been somewhat of a liberal state. We were a conservative state, a conservative agriculture state that pivoted in the 70s with a certain amount of liberalism, but still an extremely strong state of faith. Now what we're seeing is the destruction, the intentional destruction of civil society by government, which seems to be just the opposite. Usually what politicians say is that they try to improve people's lives. But you can't look at what happened in this legislative session in Minnesota and come to any other conclusion. But there was a grand narrative put into place. An entire agenda was passed for the intentional destruction of a civil society. It is breathtaking. Minnesota was known, its hallmark was education. For decades and decades, Minnesota had the number one students for ACT and SAT scores. Today, over half of the students in Minnesota are below grade level in reading, below grade level in mathematic achievement. This has never happened before, and it happened dramatically quickly. How did this happen? It's been ongoing for at least a decade, but it during the 2020 election, in the lead up to the 2020 election, the presidential election when Joe Biden defeated uh, Donald Trump in the final result. During that election, something very strange happened in Minnesota. 
our Secretary of State on his own unilaterally changed all of our election laws. He changed the laws so that there would it would be impossible to have election integrity. He did this on his own. He wrote up a consent decree with a local friendly um, district judge from St. Paul, not a high position, but they just changed all the election laws in one fell swoop. The problem is there was no pushback. The lesson for all of us is that you can't win if you don't fight. And we just saw that with Pastor Hildebrand. There's many tools in our toolkit to fight with. We know that prayer is the main tool in our toolkit, but also Pastor Hildebrand stood up, he fought back. In the state of Minnesota, there was no fighting back. You'll hear from a few legislators in that state who tried to stand up, who tried to make the debate, who tried to make the arguments, but we needed to have lawsuits filed. We need a lawsuit filed then. We need more lawsuits filed since then. Let me just give you a very high level overview. And you'll hear from the various legislators and also Dale Worthington tonight about what has happened in Minnesota. I've been in politics for many years. I served in the United States Congress from Minnesota. I served in the Minnesota State Senate. I was an activist for many years prior to that. In all of the decades that I have been involved in politics, I have never seen a more breathtaking legislative session than what happened in this session. We took Minnesota, for instance, in the area of abortion, and Minnesota became the most pro-abortion state, I believe, in the nation. We are a sanctuary state for abortion, meaning people can come to Minnesota and they, they can't be sued if they come to Minnesota. We have abortion is now legal and right up until the very moment of birth. Um, doctors from other states who have lawsuits against them in the area of abortion, they can come to Minnesota. All of the pro-life protections that we spent decades fighting for, they're all gone. Everything was repealed. We know we are now an absolute pro-abortion state, and our state is proud of it. We are, um, we're also a state that NBC News called a laboratory in pushing progressive policy. That's NBC, who is the hallmark of pushing progressive policy, and they praised Minnesota. Over 70 bills were passed virtually with no bipartisan support. That's what happened in uh, abortion. It, abortion is now considered a fundamental reproductive right. It's virtually unchallengeable. We had a $17 billion surplus. The legislature spent every penny and also incurred indebtedness. We're a high spending state. We're the most uh, generous welfare state of all 50 states in the nation. So we're a very high spending state. We're a very high tax state before this legislative session. But the legislature increased spending almost 40%. Think of that. With inflation, with, uh, with the economy the way that it is, this, it's, a, I'm sorry, I failed to complete my thought, which was, when the Secretary of State changed the election law unilaterally in Minnesota, 
That is how they were able to push this through. The most radical agenda that has ever been pushed through in one session, and they were able to do it because of the rigged election in 2020. That's how they were able to make Minnesota the most pro-abortion state and to reduce all um, pro-life protections. They have put us in such an area of indebtedness by increasing spending 40%. This is permanent levels of spending that in the next four years, Minnesotans will have to pay not only these high taxes and increased taxes that are set to come, we'll have to come up with an additional eight to $10 billion to fund these new programs with no surplus to draw from. They had a 17 billion one-time surplus spent it all. There's no way to get that money. So Minnesotans are looking at becoming increasingly poorer because of the level of spending. This leg legislature gave, they passed free school lunches for every kid in Minnesota, free school breakfast for every kid in Minnesota. They increased spending on education by 10% and tied spending on education to inflation. They increased gas taxes and tied it to inflation. They increased spending 7% on higher ed. Now 16 and 17 year olds are expected to register to vote. They have aggressive uh, they have aggressive registration in the high schools in Minnesota. Felons now have the right to vote. The worst bill that they put through in the state is the carbon-free bill. In less than seven years in Minnesota, we have to reduce 80% of carbon in Minnesota. Do you have any idea how impossible this is? Virtually impossible. Minnesota is the coldest state in the nation, if not the coldest, nearly the coldest state in the nation. Winter lasts six months in the state of Minnesota, and they want to reduce energy to only solar and wind. That's it. We heat our homes with coal and natural gas, nuclear. Nuclear will be outlawed. Coal is about to be outlawed. Oil is about to be outlawed. I have a, a, a coal plant literally within a quarter mile of my house. That is being dismantled as we speak. So this is literally a life and death move made by the legislature. It shows that these people are not only ignoramuses, they are monsters. Because you look at California and all of the planned brownouts that that state goes through, Imagine if you're in Minnesota and it is 50 degrees below zero, which is a reality in our state, and the power goes out. And if the power goes out in Minnesota, literally within hours, people could die. Because where are you going to go? Because we are looking at 100% carbon free by 2040. That's less than 17 years. We have to have an 80% reduction in seven years, it is impossible. Solar and wind, solar is 200% more costly than our current sources of energy. Wind is 50% more costly than our current sources of energy. Now every student in Minnesota will have to go through ethnic studies course. It teaches that whites are racist and are responsible for racism. And it's teaching racial hatred to kids all over the state of Minnesota. 
We also have what is the, called the Paid Family and Medical Leave Act. This is going to destroy businesses in Minnesota. There is no exemption for small businesses. Any employee will have the right to take up to 20 weeks off a year. Now think of this, there's 52 weeks a year. Any employee will have the right to take 20, 20 weeks off a year from the employment if they say that they have a family or a medical emergency. They, the employee gets to define what a family is. A family can be whatever the employee says. And it doesn't have to be that the employee has the medical emergency. It could be someone in their family has the medical emergency. So if their child is suffering from anxiety or depression or their mother has dementia, they can take up to 20 weeks a year off. The employer has to hold the position open for the employee, but the employer has to pay the employee's salary without the benefit. So you may hire six employees and anyone who is an employee can say, I need to take 20 weeks off. So a new department will be started in Minnesota, probably 500 employees, and this will literally bake, break the back. I could go on and on, and I'm sure our legislators will. We ha now have a ban on conversion therapy in Minnesota. We also have the state now has the right to remove children from the home. If the parents disagree with the radical transgender um, mutilation of a ch their child's body or the poison that would go into the child's bo body for puberty blockers. But the parents are prohibited now in Minnesota from taking their child to a counselor so that the counselor can talk to the child. If the child is under 18 years of age, they are prohibited from being able to go to a professional licensed counselor and get help. This is just a taste of what's happening. Next year, uh, the effort is to put into the Minnesota Constitution the transgender uh, uh, the surgeries and the, the puberty blockers. That quote right is expected to go into the Constitution next year. And also socialized medicine is expected to be legalized next year. And the providers in Minnesota, the doctors, will see about a 50 to 70% cut in wages. This is in the state that hosts the number one hospital in the world, the Mayo Clinic, the number one ranked hospital in the world, Mayo Clinic, will see socialized medicine in their backyard. We've never seen a more hateful, destructive agenda put forward. And I'm just giving you highlights. I have a 13 page summary that has been put together of what happened. If you'd like to have access to that, we'll make that available to you by Wednesday on World Prayer Network. We'll have that available for you or else Jim will send out his newsletter. I also want to give you hope. We are now on the biblical calendar in the time of the year called Teshuvah. It is the 40 days of prayer and fasting that occurs annually. It coincides with the 40 days that Moses spent on Mount Sinai when he went to meet the Lord for the second time and the Lord gave him the covenant and the 10 commandments and Moses was literally face to face with the Lord on Mount Sinai. What a holy moment. That example is what has been followed through the ages by 
all the Old Testament prophets, by John the Baptist, by Jesus. And it's teshuva means to return. It's 40 days when we return on the, to the Lord in fasting and prayer. And I'm asking you to join us. We have done this before through World Prayer Network, and we're making this opportunity available to you. Again, would you please join us? We begin for a half hour every day, seven days a week until Yom Kippur, which is September 25th on your calendar. So join us tomorrow morning starting at 10 a.m. on Zoom. The address is Regent. It's sponsored by Regent University. It's R-E-G-E-N-T dot E-D-U forward slash 40 days. Regent dot E-D-U forward slash 40 days. And uh, you can join us uh, 10 minutes before the hour. We have worship for 10 minutes. Then we have a half hour of prayer time together. We have over 2,800 people who've already in, uh, joined us, people from all over the world. We want to encourage this, not because we're trying to build a list or have big numbers. What we are encouraging in the body of Christ is that in this time of the destruction of civil society, not only in Minnesota, not only in America, but across the globe where we're seeing arsonists set fires and tragedies being um, it, it being woven by these governments. We need to lean in. This is where the hope is. This is where the body of Christ comes together, just like we do on World Prayer Network. And we are going to lift up our nation and decree and declare the word of God. That is what we are doing. We are, we're asking the Lord to redeem us during this period of time. So won't you join us at regent.edu forward slash 40 days. Rosemary and I started this a few years ago, the 40 days of Teshuva, to return to the Lord. And um, we confess and repent, and it's the most beautiful time. So thank you for that. And just realize and recognize the time that we are in is so unique. It is a time unlike any other in the history of the United States. And so we don't stand in fear. We stand in fear of the Lord. That's what Pastor Hildebrandt and Pastor Pulowski are doing. That's what we are doing here in World Prayer Network. We are in offense mode right now, standing in the fear of the Lord. So thank you, Pastor Jim. I hand it back to you, and I'll remain a part of this wonderful program. Thank you, Congresswoman. We're going to go to a state senator, state representative. I want you to meet them. But before we do that, Dale Witherington, you've been involved in, you founded Restore Minnesota. And uh, your heart is in seeing that, that nation, that rather that state restored. They'll lead us in prayer right now. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Jim. Uh, let me just say, before I go to prayer, um, uh, Congresswoman Bachman, thank you for uh, such a comprehensive uh, briefing. Um, what you just did for a lot of folks, as many would know, that there are a lot of folks who listen to that information. and. They wonder why in God's name are you people staying in Minnesota? Um, th that's being asked a lot. And here's the simple answer. We are not fighting for victory here in Minnesota. We are fighting from victory in Minnesota. When the Lord Jesus said it is finished and he went to the tomb and was resurrected, all hell broke loose because they lost. 
So we are fighting from the position of we are restoring righteousness in the state of Minnesota, and we will continue to fight that battle. And you can go to RestoreMN.org and check out more. But I, what I've been asked to pray, uh, I'm, I'm going to renew the covenant that was prayed in 1607. This is actually the prayer for Minnesota that came out of the prayer movement. Many of you may be tied to the Dutch sheets, give him 15 um, and the pray the perimeter or paint the perimeter. And we have been painting the perimeter and the interior of this state now for a couple months. And this is based upon the 1607, the very first landing of those men from England who came here to claim this, this soil, this new nation. When they planted the flag in Cape Henry, it was not a flag. When they claimed the land for England, they didn't claim it for England. They planted a cross and they claimed this nation for Jesus Christ and for the spreading of his gospel. So there's no wonder that in a state where communism and Islamic jihadism is alive and well, why wouldn't the enemy of our souls be fighting through our legislature to keep righteousness from being restored? So we're going to fight. We're going to push back against the darkness here. And I am going to read this prayer and go forward. So join with me, please. In 2023, we, the people of Minnesota, agree and renew our commitment. Jimmy made me cry earlier. I'm going to cry again. We renew our commitment to the covenant of dedication made on April 29, 1607 by Reverend Robert Hunt at Cape Henry, North America. The prayer says, we do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to raise up godly generations after us, and with these generations take the kingdom of God to all the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains, and may this land along with England be evangelist to the world. May all who see this cross remember what we have done here, and may those who come here to inhabit join us in this covenant and in this most noble work that the Holy Scriptures may be fulfilled. We profess all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall bow down and worship before you, Lord, for the kingship and the kingdom are the Lord's, and he is the ruler over the nations. That spiritual stream of the covenant of freedom and liberty across the land now called the United States of America continues to flow. Minnesota and the inhabitants therein were the recipients of that initial prayer of dedication in 1858, the year of our statehood, and we remain as the fruit of that covenant prayed at Cape Henry. Today, we recommit ourselves to joining in with that original design and purpose for the entire nation. As the preamble of the Constitution of the state of Minnesota clearly states, we, the people of the state of Minnesota, Grateful to God for our civil and religious liberty and desiring to perpetuate its blessing and secure the same to ourselves and our posterity, do and establish and ordain this constitution. 
Minnesota declared freedom then and today. We are returning to our roots in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by declaring the gospel of the kingdom of freedom, liberty, life, health, justice, peace, prosperity, the pursuit of happiness, and righteousness. We declare this over the state of Minnesota as stated in Mark 1, 15, and we do this for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, Dale's been involved in the state of Minnesota for a long time, and he's assisting us. He's partnering with us. He's our official well-versed representative to the state of Minnesota. So uh, it's a real joy to get to partner with you, Dale. Thank you for standing. So glad you're with us tonight. We're going to go right to State Senator Steve Draskowski right now. Senator, so honored to have you on. Share with us. Thank you, Jim. Uh, thank you, uh, everyone. And it's a pleasure to be part of the World Prayer Network here tonight. It's, it was uh, great listening to you, Congresswoman. I think you, uh, you may have stole our, uh, our thunder and all the rain too, but um, we will try to uh, help provide some additional context to what really uh, was a disastrous um, five or six months in the Minnesota legislature this last year and what it yielded was something that we never really could have predicted. Um, I've been in the Minnesota House for 15 years prior to this last election and, and was just elected to the Minnesota Senate for my first term there. And I'll tell you, there's unprecedented things that happened. Uh, and it was very clear as we began the session on January 4th, uh, that things were different. Uh, the first thing that happened is that the majority uh, party decided to uh, not hold a training that was held on the second day of session each year for many, uh, many uh, sessions, and uh, they instead went directly to work. So I knew it immediately something was up. Uh, and then when we formed our rules out in the Minnesota Senate, they continued the ability for remote voting uh, on the Senate floor. Now, there wasn't really contemplation, and I don't think there has been full contemplation since, uh, of the implications of that in the face of our Minnesota Constitution that says, the legislature shall meet in the seat of government. Uh, the House and the Senate and, and their leaders during COVID decided to do a shortcut in order to make certain that the legislature could meet during COVID. Uh, they allowed remote voting over, um, over Zoom and, and other types of approaches. In the Senate, what they did is that they allowed uh, one senator from each caucus to uh, bring in over the phone, uh, supposedly, the votes of the individuals that were not present. Uh, so proxy voting, if you will call it, uh, that uh, is what we had here in the state of Minnesota, in the, in the state Senate. And so conventional wisdom would tell you, well, you know, there's going to be some, some um, uh, you know, agreements that are going to have to come about, some compromise that's going to happen between the two parties in the Minnesota Senate. And if you look back in history, when the, when the, the uh, margin was that close, that is what happened. Uh, but this remote voting provided that people who normally might not be there uh, were there through the proxy voting each and every time. And it was very clear. And we read actually after session ended 
and they were in full articulation uh, uh, with their agenda. And that really began and it was clear with uh, the first bill that came and, and Congresswoman Bachman talked about it. That was the uh, abortion uh, up until the moment of birth, uh, uh, unlimited abortion uh, bill that they brought. That was House File 1 and Senate File 1, the number one bill, priority bill of the majorities in both the House and the Senate. And when they brought that bill in the Senate, um, I know I myself crafted 50 amendments, 5-0. And as we went through the debate on the Senate floor, uh, our Senate Republicans brought 65 amendments over 15 hours of debate on the Senate floor and they didn't take a single amendment, not one. We offered amendments to say, you know what, abortion, we gotta have some restrictions. You can't abort your baby on the 32nd week and the 37th and 38th and 39th. And then lastly, you can't abort your baby on the day that it's gonna be born. And each and every time the majority turned it away and said no, every single time. And, and the Congressman talked about uh, the restrictions, bipartisan, bicameral restrictions that were in, that have been in statute for decades in our state, including uh, the uh, Born Alive Act, which I was a, a sponsor of several years ago, which says if a baby uh, is, if, if an aborted baby is, is botched, it's, it's incumbent on the doctor to save the life of that baby the Democrats took that out of statute so it no longer exists. And those are the types of very radical um, pieces that they brought. And Congresswoman, you're right, we are now an abortion sanctuary state. And there's uh, two other sanctuary states that I was able to note through the session. Uh, we're a sanctuary state for illegal immigration. Illegal immigrants were given driver's licenses. They were given uh, the ability to uh, participate in the public health care and get free health care. Uh, they were given the ability to get free college if uh, their parents earned $80,000 or less per year. Uh, and they were given access to refundable tax credits in multiple places in our tax code, including the working family credit, which is the Minnesota version of the earned income credit on the federal level. So um, it, we became also a sanctuary state for illegal immigration. And and as a Congresswoman talked about, we also became a sanctuary state for transgender therapies. As a matter of fact, the bill said that uh, the state can take, if indeed uh, that scenario that Congresswoman talked about um, presents itself where uh, one or more of the parents are not gonna let their kid uh, participate in a transgender um, process, uh, the state can take temporary custody of the kid away from the parents. And that includes kids that are here from other states, basically violating our, um, our, our, our connection and relationship with other states. So if somebody comes here from a red state like Missouri uh, and, uh, and, and the, the child is told by the parent that they cannot participate in hormone therapies or, or surgeries around this, uh, they, uh, the, the state government will take temporary custody, and also, of course, provide funding in many of those cases, not only for the transgender um, therapies, but uh, and that also happened in the, in the abortion arena too. So three sanctuary states, 
uh, we became, uh, we had two major gun control um, uh, items that were passed into law, universal background checks, which uh, we also uh, know as universal gun registration systems passed by the government uh, that uh, requires if you're gonna borrow a gun or sell a gun to someone else, you have to check in with the government first uh, and become part of the government registry. The red flag gun confiscation law, which many believe is unconstitutional is already a challenge is happening in the courts there. Uh, the Congresswoman mentioned the Paid Family and Medical Leave Act. Uh, that's a seven tenths of a percent uh, payroll tax, a brand new payroll tax. We do not have up until this year, a payroll tax in the state of Minnesota, just like your FICA taxes federally. Now Minnesota will have a payroll tax um, to uh, create this government run program where uh, there's no controls in it. Uh, none whatsoever. The definition of family member, as you mentioned, Congresswoman, is not there. Uh, there's not going to be anybody in government checking. I asked that in the Senate floor. Uh, and, you know, if Uncle Charlie is, is sick and he's in New Hampshire um, and uh, the worker decides to, you know, go help Uncle Charlie and he actually ends up the worker going to Florida, there's not going to be anybody following that person to Florida and uh, pulling him from the beach and asking him why he's not helping Uncle Charlie. So um, those are the things that happened there. Uh, we also uh, passed a piece for businesses. Of course, I didn't vote for it and I don't think any Republicans did to require businesses to set aside money for a new government run uh, retirement system. Apparently the government now has to provide retirement benefits uh, extracted from the employees by the employer at the direction of state government. Um, and I'll let uh, maybe Representative Altendorf uh, get to her presentation here, but I will mention one thing before I do that. And that is the way they did this, ladies and gentlemen, was done so quickly and in a way that zoomed these bills through. They were very high test bills. They were very, they were, there are 70, uh, 75, different um, sections, uh, new, new sections of law. Now that we're brought for new chapters of law. Uh, and many of those are omnibus bills that require, that include hundreds of provisions in them filled with the woke Marxist ideology of this very, very far left um, majority that's going on in the Minnesota Senate, Minnesota House controlled, mainly out of the, the high population centers of the state. Uh, but I'll tell you, it happened rec recklessly and and very zealously uh, on their part, and uh, I've really never seen anything like it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Senator. Uh, as folks, I just want to remind us what we're focused on here is biblical governance versus anti-biblical constructs in governance. That's the heart of the issue, uh, throwing God out, throwing the word of God out. Uh, God is so in love with humanity, he created a book in which he outlined in his book, the fundamental, the foundations of how government is supposed to function, which brings peace and tranquility on a state, a nation, a city. And so what we're at the heart of what we're talking about is true biblical governance versus anti-scriptural constructs here. We are really delighted to have State Representative Pam Altendorf with us right now. So Pam, Continue, or rather, state representative, I should say, representative, continue, if you would, the story of Minnesota. And I'm going to 
come back at the end and ask a question, how did this happen? Why did this happen? But uh, Representative, share with us. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me today. And thanks to everyone with the World Prayer Network. This is just such an important thing. And um, thank you to Belinda Kuhn, who brought this um, you know, subject up. And Minnesota really is in dire need right now of prayers. Uh, and let us just be a shining example of how quickly uh, things can change. Uh, we are a very purple state. We are a state that um, you maybe have heard the saying Minnesota nice, and we really like that middle ground. We don't we don't like really interrupting and causing disrupt on the far left or the far right. And what I would just say is we've just been hijacked by people, as you said, um, this is not a great issue anymore. When I, I'm a brand new state representative, this is my first time running. And um, when people ask me, why did I run for office? Well, just like many people around the world and around our country, I would say it was a few things. And I was very frustrated with COVID. I was very frustrated with the shutdowns. I was very um, worried about our lack of having basic freedoms. And that was really um, very apparent. Uh, the government was telling us you could not work. You could not make a living. The government was telling us you could not worship. You could not go to a church. Um, they closed down our schools, they masked our kids, and we're still paying the price. As uh, Congresswoman Bachman had said, right here in the state of Minnesota, which we were one of the states with the highest masking from our um, tyrannical governor who was pushing these laws while, while we had neighboring states that had children going to school unmasked. Um, we are at a rate, we just had some assessments come out with education. Um, I'm on the Education Committee, and the 2022 assessments just were released this week. Uh, our reading is at 49.9% of our children. That means for the first time in the state of Minnesota, half of our children are not reading at grade level. And this is truly a crisis. This is a huge crisis. As we know, the children should be our most, um, you know, biggest priority. This is a future of our state. And if we do not have educated children, how can they move on in life to be productive adults? And so we truly do have a crisis. Um, I got off track a little bit, but why did I run? And it was that frustration in the in government uh, being in full control. Um, I am a stay-at-home mom, five children. I also had a you just if you're in sales as you know you don't you don't really get into politics and so I had to have quite a few conversations um, with God and um, was this something that he really wanted me to do um, I said okay if, if I do this that you I had to kind of make a little deal that you know he would help me open doors and provide the way and provide the people um, but I have to tell you here in Minnesota um, we just came off of 2020 of rioting. You know, we came off of 2020. And when we were out talking to people in the public, what happened at the polls in 2022 um, for them to take the trifecta, let's just say that that was not what we were seeing at the at the doors and what we were hearing from the people. And so 
very quickly when we have a government that is out of control that has completely been hijacked and that would be my words that our state has been hijacked um we are not an extreme left state we are not extreme we really are a very purple state we like that middle ground and we are being legislated right now like we are just the most radical extreme state in the country and that's what i think is so alarming so disappointing but it should be scary to every person around the United States of how quickly um, things can go in that direction. Um, so again, just talked about education and the failing crisis there. Uh, sitting on the education committee, it was truly alarming for me to know how low our grade, um, our grades or our um, productivity in school is right now, and how long it took us to start actually talking about academics. Week after week, I was going into my meetings and thinking, certainly, we're going to talk about actually educating our children this week. And it would not happen week after week after week. And instead, their priority list was a long list of mandates of social justice issues that is not going to do anything with teaching the basics of reading, writing, science, all of those basics that we've come so used to our children um, learning. and. Um, I know we also talked a little bit about the surplus, $19 billion surplus when you factor in uh, the interest on that. And, you know, I, I always want, I want people to really think about this, but I try to say like, watch what people do, not what they say, because they ran on, you know, that they are the ones that support education. They are the ones that were gonna fully fund the schools. And what we were left with here in Minnesota was they had the biggest increase to education. So that is true. And at the same time, it also was true that because of the 65 new school mandates that were added to the Minnesota education program and how big we grew government, we had the biggest um, increase to school education. And we also now are looking at schools with deficit situations, meaning like you can't even figure out how they have this numbers. So watch what they do, not what they say. They care about education. They say that, and we just saw the exact opposite happen, which is just, I mean, very, very, um, it, like I said, it's a crisis. Uh, the state here in Minnesota, we're very unfriendly to small businesses. And I like to talk a little bit about facts so that people see what's happening. Um, but on the IRS data, so this is public knowledge, anyone can go look at that. Uh, we have had a problem with people leaving the state, but what's happening is we're losing our income earners. So you can look at the IRS website, it's adjusted gross income. And let's compare another state, Wisconsin, you know, because someone might claim, well, people are leaving Minnesota because of your cold weather. So let's look at Wisconsin. We have very comparable weather. In 2021, I believe, um, Wisconsin, their adjusted gross income went down 61 million. Minnesota went down $1.56 billion. And so even though they say, they try to say these things that, you know, people want this extreme agenda, Clearly, we are having our citizens leaving the state, just like we are seeing people leave very extreme states like California, like New York. They are leaving the states that are moving away from these founded principles of freedom that our country was, was founded on.
So watch their words, not their actions. And also Congresswoman brought up the energy bill. I'm on the energy committee as well. And just like her, I find this to be one of the most dangerous things that could be happening in Minnesota. And they have even come out now and say, we do not have the infrastructure. We do not have the infrastructure to go to solar and to wind. And that is just very scary that we, just to give you an idea, California passed a 2045 carbon-free energy bill. Minnesota just said, you know, with a more extreme climate, we're going to beat you by five years without having the infrastructure. That carbon-free plan was nothing but a headline. It cannot be done. It cannot be achieved. And any person who's willing to have that conversation can see that very, very clearly, that this was something that is going to be very problematic for the state of Minnesota. Um, and it's it's not achievable, but that's that was not their priority. I want to give you just a couple more things, but um, think about this. They had the trifecta found out on November 9th. January 4th, we started session, and in two months, they came up with over 6,000 bills that we, or it wasn't just um, one-sided, but we went through Minnesota more bills than we've ever seen. Uh, we cut corners just to get this agenda through as quickly as possible. It went through at lightning speed. Um, for example, let me give you one example, but again, going into the Energy Committee, a normal procedure, because it's a budgeting year, you would have a fiscal note with a bill, and that would be responsible because you need to know how much that energy bill is going to cost the state of Minnesota. Many, many times we would see no fiscal note, meaning no one there that was going to vote on the bill even knew the, the, um, the, the money that this was going to cost the state. And the very first time I saw this happen in the Energy Committee, we, we rose our hand. We said, please, let's table this bill. Let's, let's talk about this later when we have the fiscal note. And time again and again, we would be voted down. And so again, this was not two parties working together. This was a very extreme agenda that was just being forced through, um, manipulated through the, through the government of Minnesota as fast as they could possibly do it. Um, but any bad law I think that's ever been passed in Canada or California, uh, we just decided we're gonna push that through right now in Minnesota. And I just wanna give you two um, other ones. I'll just briefly mention them. But one was um, we now have the, in the state of Minnesota, it's called a bias registry database. Now this is like Orwellian. This is a database and right now it's only a database for people to report to, but they didn't, they said they need to, they need to start um, gathering information to find out later what they need to do with this. So right now it's not criminal to be reported to this database, but we ask questions like, could you get added to the database simply by misgendering someone? They said, yes. Could you get added to the database if you said the coronavirus came from Wuhan, China? They said, yes. So this is what we're talking about. It's not really a real database. Um, it is um, something that is a thought police. It's someone, it's a, it's a database that's created that if you do not think exactly to this extremist ideology, that you are now going to be tracked in the state of Minnesota. That passed and that made national news while the Minnesota news completely ignored the story. And another one that I found very alarming, again, we have to always protect our children, um, but uh, there was in 
in statute, I was trying to pull it up to make sure I was saying it right, but um, in Minnesota statute, there was, um, you know, a definition of what sexual orientation was. And of course, we know you cannot, no one can discriminate against um, sexual orientation. So what they did was they added in, or they, what they did is they subtracted, hmm, sorry, I had it, now I can't pull it, pull it up. But what they did was in the sexual orientation clause, the definition of it, it said um, that this was um, not, um, I'm sorry, I meant to pull it up, but um, pedophilia was not a protected class. That's what it said. Pedophilia is not a protected class. And they struck that language. Sorry, I just got it. So in the definition of sexual orientation does not include a physical um, or sexual attachment to children by an adult. That was struck from Minnesota law. So that there is that that is gone. We found it uh, in the house and we we tried to push a vote. So we added that to another area of law because they argued that having that within the sexual orientation clause that we were discriminating against anyone who is transgender, gay, lesbian, and basically saying that they are pedophiles. So we said, fine, we'll be respectful that that is that is your opinion, but we're gonna re, we're gonna move that language and just simply insert place of Minnesota law because we felt that it had to be in there, that we had to say the words that um, pedophilia is not a protected class. And they voted on the floor, even everyone voted for it, saying, okay, we agree, we agree, we agree. And when that went back into the conference committee, they stripped out the language. So we no longer have that clause in the state of Minnesota that um, used to be in there. So that's just one example, but there's many others. There are lawsuits coming up all over the place in the state of Minnesota. There's many laws that passed that were unconstitutional, but they simply do not care. I would say one of the most frustrating things for myself is that I truly believe, you know, I really, really believe so many people are good people and 80% of us perhaps even believe on, you know, would, would all agree on the same thing, but the media does so much damage to divide us and the, and the media does so much damage by, by withholding truth, by not telling us both sides of the story. And so that's what's so unfortunate is when these things were happening and we were trying to get word out to the public, if the Minnesota media is not reporting, is refusing to report both sides of the story, the public truly is not informed. Um, but, you know, I just I just want to leave with a bit of encouragement as well. And just like I ran, you know, I this was not something I ever thought I would do, but I really felt you know, this is getting bad. And if not me, then who? That was just that was just what was in my brain was someone has to help. Someone has to fix us. Not that I can do everything, but I thought I would give it a good try. Um, and I would just challenge everyone. You know, everyone has talents and gifts and maybe it is, just, maybe it is praying, but maybe it's reaching out to a, a child in your neighborhood because we have so many children that are suffering right now from mental illness. Maybe it's getting involved on a school board. Maybe it's getting involved on a city council, but I would just challenge you to um, look you know, internally and to whatever that gift is that the Lord has given you to, we, we need that right now. We need, we need help, we need prayer. And we need um, people to be educated in the public and then to move into action to really help us. Way to go. What a remarkable report. Representative 
And uh, Senator, we are so proud of you. I, I've been involved with people running for office for my whole life. And I know what it takes. I have a good sense of what it takes and the price you have to pay. People who have not run for office or if they've not been close around those who have, have no idea of the kind of harassment, particularly you take now a standing for, for biblical values. Thank you for doing that. I'm going to pose this question. I don't know a nicer way to say it. Why did this happen? And uh, there's probably a number of reasons, sociologically and otherwise. I will say it happened because of pastors who did not stand. Now, the good news is probably across Minnesota are a number of pastors that Dale Witherington can name me, name more. He would know many of them who are standing, standing like a rock. Uh, but the fact is that across America, uh, about 72% of Protestant churches are left-wing liberal. Uh, he's about 28% that are biblical. And of those, how many have a distinctly biblical worldview who will take a stand on every issue in the scripture, including governance? God cares about it. He established government. It is his idea. He establishes nations. It was his idea for government. And the answer is that probably among those that are actually Bible-believing churches, Bible-teaching, probably somewhere between 15 to 30 percent of those actually have pastors who are willing to stand. I can think of two very prominent pastors in the St. Paul, Minnesota area. Don't stand at all. Refuse to take a stand. One has a national organization and the other has high visibility, written many books. They will not stand. This blood is on their hands and other guys who will not stand. I don't say that to bash pastors. I say because I love pastors and I love my God and I love the word of God. It is so good. Christian College well-known Christian college in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, refused to have Star Parker come. Star Parker is African-American. She's female. You'd think they would really welcome that. They didn't want her to come because she didn't fit the narrative. She was too conservative. A Christian college. There is the problem. They will not stand for biblical truth, and that's why we have seen this happen. And praise God for this representative, this senator, and if you knew all that, that Michelle Bachman had gone through in her life to stand for truth, it is staggering. Support these individuals. Rise up. Go to a Bible-believing church. Uh, talk to your pastor lovingly if he's not standing on the issues, preaching the whole counsel of God. Talk to him another time, a second time. Get two of your friends to fast and pray for him. And fast and pray and fast and pray and fast and pray for him. That he will or she, that they will see the truth and start preaching the whole counsel of God and not worship at the altar of nickels, noses, and numbers, but will stand biblical on every issue and support people like this who run and encourage them and pray for them, get their people registered voting and understanding so they take biblical truth and Jesus right into the voting booth with them. And if your pastor will not, after you've caught, if you've gone Matthew 18, you've talked to them, you've talked to them, you've talked to them, you've fasted, you've prayed, done anything to do, then leave that church. I'm not an advocate of church change, but I certainly am in this case that they will not preach the whole council of churches. This happened in Minnesota, I would say for a number of reasons, but if I could track the state, I can assure you with a 99.9% .9 accuracy, one of the factors is pastors who did not stand. Now I'm going to stop right there. That's my little tirade for tonight. <laughs> we're going to go back to uh, Congressman. Congresswoman, what do you want to share? And we're going to go right to prayer. And some, we got some worship we're going to go yeah. to.
What do you want to add? I, I, from the political perspective, I wanted to underscore what the representative stated regarding pedophiles. By removing this from the statute, this allows an activist judge now to, to create pedophilia as a protected class of people in Minnesota. So they would actually have increased rights in Minnesota. That's how stunning, that's how far out. It was one of the most egregious examples of a moral harm that happened during this legislative session. And those who are advocating for these dramatic changes couldn't blush. They were incapable of blushing over what they did. But Jim, I think, you know, a lot of people saw this movie, Jesus Revolution, that Greg Laurie put out about the movement, the greatest revival that happened during the late 60s, 70s, into the 80s in America. Minnesota was an absolute red hot, hot spot for revival. In fact, there was a headquarters for Lutheran Renewal, the charismatic movement, the Catholic charismatic movement. It was unbelievable. In fact, I remember at one point we were gonna leave and go to graduate school. I didn't wanna leave Minnesota to even go to graduate school because the spirit of God was so heavy in Minnesota in the 60s and 70s and 80s and up until the 90s. And maybe many people can resonate this. A heresy came into the church about that time that what churches needed to focus on week after week after week is you, you want church to be friendly, you want people to come in, you give the gospel, and that's it. It was a movement away from discipleship, and it was a movement away from preaching the full counsel of God, the biblical values. Your book, Well-Versed, teaches people that this is what the Bible says about various issues. And so pastors were told, don't preach biblically about any issue because you're going to scare people. So in Minnesota, when the marriage amendment came up, pastors were adamant. They slammed the door. They would not preach about marriage. They would not preach, for the most part, about abortion. They certainly weren't going to touch with a 10-foot pole this issue of transgenderism. Now think about this. This is child sacrifice. Now in the schools of Minnesota, you look at any public school in the state of Minnesota, beginning in kindergarten, and especially at kindergarten, all the focus, no focus on math and on writing and on English and anything else. The whole focus now is on sexuality. That's it. We are full LGBTQ in Minnesota. That is the number one thing going on. We're the George Floyd state. We have the, the biggest insurance claims in the history of America because we had the most riots after George Floyd. We are under judgment in our state. And because of what our state has chosen to do and because the people of God and the pastors, the biblical leaders in our state have decided to put duct tape on their mouth. Our Christian radio stations, many of them aren't preaching this way either. It's just feel good music or it's, it's not about where society is at. We have never been in a moment like this where we see end times looking us in the face. And yet the pulpit isn't talking about what's happening in our society. 
And so people don't see the relevance of the Bible. Why should we care about the Bible? Because people who believe the Bible aren't talking about what they believe. Minnesota is a microcosm where we stopped talking about the Bible in the late 80s, early 90s. And now we are reaping the whirlwind a generation later. And now today, it's law. This is, these aren't proposals. What we talk about tonight is law. And so now life has been rendered virtually impossible for our state. So what Dale Wither, Withering is, Witherton is trying to do is to have believers pray into this. That's what we're doing at World Prayer Network. So we're giving you a warning and a high side. Minnesota, now the governor of Minnesota, nobody knew his name before. Now Barack Obama has called him out and praised him. President Joe Biden has called our governor out and praised him. They put him on Face the Nation as a thank you gift on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, they may put him in the next administration if Biden wins. Because this is, with all due respect to Toady, who just stood by while the radical progressive uh, globalist agenda was put into place in Minnesota. Because they saw in two months, you hold your nose, you slam it through. It's the end of freedom. Because it, it has nothing to do with what the people want. It has everything to do with what the totalitarian controllers want, the anti-biblical want. So it isn't party. It is biblical versus non-biblical. And this is the most unbiblical agenda we've ever seen. It truly is stunning. So the praying into it is what we do. And that's why, again, I'm encouraging you now Join us for the 40 days of prayer and fasting. Rosemary and I had started this before, Teshuva, meaning to return to God. So join us tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time, regent.edu forward slash 40 days. It is without a doubt the most powerful thing the church can do to lean into this, declare the whole counsel of God over these matters. We cry out to God. We repent of our sin. We return to him. He acts. He is powerful. So what if they pass these laws? So what? We are going to, we're going to lead into the victory that Dale talked about. That's the Lord. So we're not coming whimpering here. We're coming filled with faith. Filled with the faith because our God is holy. And we are looking at a giant like we have never seen before, but we've got smooth stones in our hands and we're going to sling them in the name of the Lord, our God. Oh, thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, by the way, from time to time, I hear people, uh, pastors who don't, won't speak on the issues. They'll say to me, I just preach Jesus. And I say, so do I. Like I give an invitation to receive Jesus virtually every sermon I've almost ever preached. But I not only preach Jesus, I preach what Jesus preached. What did Jesus preach? The kingdom. What does the kingdom have? A king. Who is the king? Jesus. What is the king over? Everything. Everything, including the governmental aspect, the political issues of life. So one's going to preach Jesus, preach what Jesus preached as well, and declare the kingdom, the authority of Jesus over all that is. As the famous theologians uh, said, there's not, uh, the, the, Christ says, there's not one square inch that is not mine of this earth, quoting Christ.
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.